Good morning, church. That was beautiful. The choir was beautiful. For weeks, we've been uh, looking at what it means to be a servant. And uh, there's no better example than you moms that are here. You're, uh, you've modeled servanthood to us guys um, our whole lives. And if you're like my mother, um, I believe you get an extra dose of Jesus in order to do that. Um, my mom, uh, Violet Ann Duguid, born to Addie Bell Duguid in the midst of Kentucky, was five foot tall or is five foot tall. I'm sorry, mom, if you ever listen to this. Uh, when she was happy with us, about 10 foot tall when we were ornery. Um, but she got an extra dose of Jesus. When we were uh, unappreciative, we took advantage of her. When we treated her like our maid, nobody's ever done that, right, moms? Um, she was very compassionate with us. She was loving. She was understanding. And when we got out of, she was what I would call New Testament Jesus. And when we got out of line, she was Old Testament Jesus. She was the angel of the Lord, 10 foot tall with a big sword in her hand. If that didn't work, um, she would say, you wait until your father gets home. And then it would be better for you to have been in Sodom and Gomorrah before he gets here. Um, mothers teach us a lot about what it means to be a servant. And we get to celebrate you today. So um, just it's an honor and it's a privilege for us to take a day out of our lives and say thank you to you. So thank you. Um, Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mothers that are here, um, just for the, as I said, the examples that they set, for the love that they show us. And Father, how they uh, truly model the love that you have for us. Father, as we look into what it means to be a servant of yours, a child of God, somebody who loves people and uh, wants to make a difference in their lives, Lord, we just uh, thank you and praise you for who you are. We pray you would lead us and guide us. Uh, This morning, you'd open our ears to the truth of your word, Father, and just pray you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, for weeks we've been studying about um, God's perfect design for us, about uh, his unique design for us to serve and make a difference in people's lives. And we've used an acronym, DESIGN, to help us remember what we believe Scripture teaches to be the most important role in a believer's life, and that's to love God and to love others, to be a servant. Jesus taught us this in the Gospel of Matthew when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 27, or 22, 37 through 40. When it comes to loving our neighbor, as Jesus said there, to loving our neighbor um, as ourselves, we get that. We may struggle with doing it, but we understand it. Because we understand what Jesus is saying. You see, we've spent our whole lives putting ourselves first, loving ourselves and putting ourselves before others. That part we get. But when it comes to loving God, I think this is where we need help understanding. It begins with Jesus. It begins with faith. It begins with understanding who we are. Sinners, spiritually bankrupt, in desperate need of a Savior. It starts with Christ. And unless you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then everything else I'm going to share with you this morning is going to be meaningless to you. 
unless it touches your heart, unless it draws you closer to him. Because no amount of serving and no amount of works can save you. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, thus anyone should boast. Loving God starts with faith. It starts with Christ. And when we get that part right, when we're a child of God, Jesus wants to show us all the rest. The writer of Hebrews tells us without faith, we cannot please God. Once we have Christ in our lives, he wants to show us what it really means to love God. And he did that for us. A couple of chapters later in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34, Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. You see, Jesus is telling us this is who we are. As children of God, we're to be servants. And when we're loving and serving people, he says we're loving and serving God. It's really that simple for us. When we're loving and serving people, we're loving and serving God. And that's the example that he set for us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Our scripture verse for the series, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the primary goal of our design series. It's to help each one of us understand that service and ministry, it's not an option for us. It's who we are. It's who God designed us to be, and he uses our desires, our experiences, our spiritual gifts, our individual personalities, our spiritual growth, and our natural abilities to touch people's lives, to be the hand and feet of Jesus, and to draw people closer to him. This week is growth week. We're learning about spiritual growth and service, specifically how God designed each of us to grow spiritually and serve others. Now, while it's true that spiritual growth does help us to serve others, I think what's unique about our spiritual growth is that when we serve, we grow. When we use and put into practice God's design for our lives, for other people, he grows us. When we grow, we serve, and that's note number one in your outline. When we serve, we learn and grow. Psalm 111.10 says, and I noticed first service, these aren't on your screen, so you're going to have to follow along or listen to me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. When we use God's unique design for our lives to serve, God teaches us and grows us into fully devoted followers of Christ. He molds and shapes us into the image of his son, and that's what spiritual growth really is. It's becoming more like Christ. 
I like the way C.S. Lewis put it in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. I want to give you an example of what I'm trying to communicate here. Many of you um, know my daughter, Heather. She's a nurse. Um, and when she was going to Cal Baptist University and studying there, she would often send me uh, texts with photographs attached. And uh, it'd be a photograph of a cadaver they were working on in the laboratory, experimenting on. And I know it's kind of gross, but I think she thought it was funny. But the truth was that in classroom, they would study and they would learn all kinds of things about medical care and taking care of people. But it wasn't until they got in the lab and they actually started putting those things that they learned into practice that they could experience the most important things about caring for people. See, for Christians, serving is our lab work. We're taking what we learn about loving and caring for people out of God's word and we're putting it into practice. And when we do it, God teaches us. We grow. We grow spiritually. I remember going to driver's training school. And many of you probably remember this. We had it in high school. Um, we didn't have to pay for it. We'd go out and find it somewhere. We had it in high school. And they taught me all kinds of things about driving in the classroom. We learned, you know, put your hands at 2 and 10 on the wheel. Um, when to apply the brake. When to, you know, turn your uh, turn indicator on or start to signal. And all that was great. It was important. I learned some good things. And actually, I thought I was a pretty darn good driver. But until I started putting that into practice and got behind a wheel, I realized I didn't really learn anything. I remember one time I was uh, 15, had my learner's permit, and I was driving with my mom. I had to go to the dentist, and it was about 10 miles away, so we got on the freeway. And I was doing pretty darn good, if you ask me. I was using one hand, showing her my mad driving skills. I was feeling pretty comfortable about driving, but on the way home, I had to get off the freeway. And it was the Fife Freeway and Lakewood Boulevard. And uh, that off-ramp was designed in the 30s. It was designed for about 20 miles an hour, maybe. And I hit that off-ramp. It was a big, sweeping turn like this, and I hit it at 65 miles an hour in a 1962 Volkswagen Beetle. And my mom started screaming. She screamed here, and she just kept screaming all the way through the turn. Um, I scared her to death. Uh, I got Old Testament Jesus right then. Um, but um, she swears we were on two wheels, but we were not. If she had calmed down, she would have known what a great driver I was, actually. But, and maybe this isn't a great example, but until I started driving, and still I t until I took what I had learned in that classroom and actually put it into practice, I really hadn't learned how to drive. That's the way serving teaches us, and we grow. It's lab work. It's road time. When we begin to love and serve others, when we put God's word into practice, God transforms our lives, and we grow spiritually. James and John said it this way in Scripture. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And James said in chapter 1, but be doers of the word, not just hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. Did you hear what James said there? He said, unless we're serving and putting God's word into practice, we're deceiving ourselves. We may have read a, a lot about God's love, about selflessness, humility, compassion, giving. 
Scripture speaks a lot about all those things. We may be in a Bible study class, a small group. We could have heard sermon after sermon about these things, but until we're loving and until we're serving people, we're not learning a thing, James says. He goes on. He goes even further. In chapter 2, he says, beginning in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food? And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. I'll pray for you, right? But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, James said. And then he gives us an example. In verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. See, it was the fruit of Abraham's faith James is talking about here. When he was trusting and serving God, his faith was teleo in the Greek, which means perfect or complete. As we serve others and meet their needs, God builds our faith. He grows us. We grow spiritually. When we serve to learn, or when we serve, we learn to grow. Okay, so what do we learn? What are those things that God needs to teach us serving? He can't teach us any other way. Take a look at your notes. Number two there says, serving teaches us to be selfless and humble. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only... for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Are you as selfish as I am? Are you as selfish as I am? I guarantee you, if Christ is not in control of my life, I think about myself first, always. You're probably thinking, gee, John, I'm not that bad. Um, I'm not that selfish. But I really like the example Pastor Mike has given us several times because it's, well, it's hilarious, and it's the truth. If you take a photograph of all of us here, every single one of us, and you pass that photograph around, the first person you're going to look for is yourself. I guarantee it. It's, it's 100% of the time. It's true. You might look for somebody else after, but you're going to say, ooh, what I look like? Is that my good side? Hmm. It's how we're wired in our sinful nature. We're wired that way. We're wired to think about ourselves first. Serving teaches us to value people more than ourselves. And when we're putting someone else's needs above our own, the Apostle Paul says, God teaches to think differently about people and to think differently about ourselves. Look at Romans chapter 12, or I'll read it to you. It's probably not your outlines there. Um, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, Christ knows how selfish we are. He knows how selfish I am. He knows our tendency is to think about our own needs, and he knows what motivates us. Transforming our hearts and minds takes work. It takes Christ's work. And that's why he set the example for us that he did. See, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which also was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made it himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus set an example for us there. God could have saved us any number of ways, but he didn't. The God of the universe humbled himself and took the form of a bondservant and selflessly gave his life for us so that we would know what love truly is. As we follow his example and serve others, he teaches us to be humble. He teaches us to be selfless. He transforms our minds into the mind of Christ so that that we can finally begin to think about people the way that he does. Matthew 23, verse 11 says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. When we serve others, he teaches us to be selfless and to be humble. And there's no other way to learn it. Serving is the only way he can teach us that. Number three, serving teaches us to be compassionate people. Psalm 86, verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And then Matthew 9, 36, it says, But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Ezekiel described them as being beast Food for every beast of the field without a shepherd. See, Christ had compassion on them. He wants us to be compassionate people. How does he teach us that? You know, several months ago, my wife and I were grocery shopping, and as we left the supermarket, we got in the car, put our groceries away, got in, and I started to turn the key. And a young man came up to my window and knocked on it. And I turned and looked at him. And he says, hey, you got any money? Now, I don't know what came over me. I've been reading about the Occupy movement. I, I don't know what set me off, but I opened my door, and I moved in the kid's direction. I was kind of like this. Hmm. What's wrong with you? You should be ashamed of yourself out here begging for money from all these people. Aren't you embarrassed? Where do you live? He said, at home. Oh, at home? Really? With your parents? Yes. Really? Do they feed you? Yes. So you're not hungry? Nope. Nope, I'm not hungry. 
what are you doing here? Do you have a job? No. Why don't you have a job? He couldn't answer me. He had no idea. As I talked to him, I drew a crowd around me. People were starting to circle and listen to what I was saying to this kid. And I was basically upset with him. I was getting in his face, I guess is the best way to describe it. I told him, if you spent half the time you're spending in this parking lot asking for money, looking for a job, you'd already have one. Are you any better than all these people around here? And I said, he, he didn't even answer me. He was pretty much speechless at this point. And I said, you know what? You need to get out of here. You need to go find a job. You leave these people alone. And I turn around and I walk to my car. I'm thinking, boy, I taught that kid a lesson. What was he doing out here? And I go to open the car door and my wife Pam's sitting there and she's just, she's embarrassed to death. She looks at me and she says, what are you thinking? And I, well, honey, that's, that young man needs a job. He shouldn't be out here begging. I'm teaching him a lesson. She said, honey, you're not teaching him anything. Why? Well, I, I didn't believe her. I get driving away. And I look in my rearview mirror and he's asking one of the people in the crowd if he could have some money. He didn't learn a thing. I didn't teach him a thing. Basically, I told him what a, a maybe a mean old man looks like. I don't know. God uh, worked on me pretty hard the next week or two. Um, I was somewhat ashamed of myself, I guess is the best way to put it. And No more than two weeks later, my wife and I are in a re- we were leaving a restaurant. We'd had dinner, and we're walking to the car, and we're two miles roughly away from where we were before. But guess who walks up to me? Yeah, this, this same young man. And you'd think, boy, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. But nope, he walks right up to me and says, hey, man, you got some money? Just like that. Um, and, you know, this time was different. I look at him and I think, you know what? How about some food? He says, sure. So there was, the restaurant was right there. We walk there. And on the way there now, it's different. Now I'm listening to this young man. Now I'm actually talking to him. And as I talk to him, I realize, you know what? This young man's, he's mentally ill. He's got some form of brain damage. He's not, he wasn't all there. And you know what? I don't know if he had anything to do with that. But it really didn't matter, did it? That's who that young man was. And as we walked into the restaurant, the people in there knew him too. It wasn't the first time he'd been in there. And I looked at him and I said, would you like some food? He said, "Uh, you know what? I want the biggest chocolate shake they've got. So I order him a chocolate shake and I give him the chocolate shake. And he's the happiest kid on the planet. Takes a big swig and he's like, thank you. You know, it, it, it dawned on me that until I was willing to buy that young man a chocolate shake, God couldn't teach me a thing about compassion, about seeing that young man the way that God looked at him. I was just a, I was just a mean old man. Um, serving teaches us to be compassionate. Number four in your outlines. Serving teaches us to give. As we love and we serve others, we're going to be challenged to give and trust God to supply 
supply us with what we need. Giving of the resources we hold on to so dearly, our time and our money. And I want you to take a look at these verses that I'm going to share with you. Notice that they say nothing about how much we have. They simply remind us that if we truly love others, and we're able to, we're going to give. First Timothy chapter 6 says, Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. That's who we are supposed to be. First John three seventeen and 18 says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then a verse we're familiar with, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God supplies for what God is doing. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You see, these verses clearly teach God is able to provide so that we have an abundance for every good work, for serving, for making a difference in other people's lives. Yet we're never, ever going to experience this or ever experience God's provisions for our lives merely from reading these words in Scripture. Until we step out in faith and give bountifully. Until we trust him with our time and our resources. Until we begin to give regularly to what he's doing. Until we begin to tithe. We won't have the opportunity to experience God supplying what only he can. I guarantee you if you talk to someone who is serving. If you talk to someone who's giving regularly who ties, I guarantee you they're going to share with you how God has provided for them in amazing ways. Because if it's something God's doing, he provides. And serving teaches us to give and to give liberally, and we can't learn it any other way. Number five, serving teaches us to rely on God. Have you ever felt like God wanted you to serve or to help in an area, but you were afraid Does that sound familiar to you? You didn't feel equipped for it, or maybe it required you to do something you're just not comfortable with? Well, you know what? You're not alone. Every one of us has felt that way. In fact, one of the greatest servants in all of Scripture did as well. He felt exactly the same way. Moses spent 40 years of his life learning how to be a prince in Egypt. And when he thought he was ready, to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel and take them out of Egypt, he was rejected. He spent another 40 years learning to be a shepherd in the desert. And then God used that experience in his life, the last 40 years, 
the shepherd, the nation of Israel. One of the greatest servants we have in all of Scripture. Yet it says, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and he tells Moses he wants him to go to Egypt, Moses feels totally and completely unprepared. In Exodus chapter 3, we see this back and forth between Moses and God. Moses says, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What if they don't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? I don't speak well. Bottom line, Moses is saying, I can't do it, Lord. But take a look at your outline there. What does God tell him? Exodus 3.12, he says, I will certainly be with you. God tells Moses he will be with him every step of the way and gives him everything he needs to do what God's called him to do. See, Moses had to rely on God, and God provided for him. He's with him every step of the way, and he does the same thing for you and I today. When we step out in faith and serve, he's with us every step of the way. He doesn't ask us to do anything on our own. In fact, take a look at what Jesus tells us in John 15.5. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, if we're serving the Lord, he's a part of it. He's with us. We're not alone. He gives us what we need. We've been studying for weeks how he's designed us to do that. Every one of us struggles with trusting him. Every single one of us. And Moses was no different. After God reassured him and gives Moses everything he needs, takes away all of his excuses, Moses finally tells God how he truly feels. He says, send somebody else. Send someone else, Lord. Not me. I'm afraid and I don't want to go. You know, it's interesting. God was never angry with Moses when Moses had doubts, when Moses had questions. Every time Moses asked God something or questioned something or was concerned about something, God gave him the answer. God gave him what he needed. But when Moses said, no, I'm not going, you know, get somebody else. Scripture says that God got angry with Moses. Moses said no. But even still, God doesn't scold Moses. Instead, in chapter 4, even though he was angry with Moses, he comforts him. He encourages him. He knew exactly what Moses needed because he understood Moses. Moses needed Aaron. Moses needed somebody to go with him. Moses needed somebody to speak for him. And God gave him exactly what he needed because he understood. He gave Moses what he needed and Moses became the servant God designed him to be. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. God sent us our Savior as a man to live a life like we do so that we would understand how much he knows us. He cares for us. He gets us. He was a man. He was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. We have a God who understands us. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel like you're not ready. It's okay to feel like you don't have what it takes sometimes. It's okay to even say, Lord, not me. But like Moses, if it's something God wants you to be a part of, 
He's going to push you to trust him. And when we do, he teaches us we can rely on him. He wants us to rely on him. I tell you, just do it. Just try him. Even God said that when he came to Gibbon. Just try me. Just trust him. Most of us, I guarantee it, you're not going to be asked to take the nation of Israel out of Egypt. It's not going to be that tough. Remember how Jesus described it. How did he describe serving and loving others? Can you feed someone? Can you provide them drink? Can you be hospitable? Can you clothe someone? Can you love people who are sick? Can you love someone who has made bad decisions and suffering the consequences for them? They're in prison. Yes, I think some of us will be missionaries, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Absolutely. And many of us should. But as my friend Monty and group last week shared, a huge aspect of serving means we just live our lives and love people along the way. Can you get a cup of coffee for somebody who has a difficult time getting up in the fellowship hall to go get it? Can you give someone a ride? Can you plant flowers? Can you fix sprinkler heads? Do you know how to paint? Can you call a friend? You know, serving simply means we live our lives and honor God with the opportunities that he gives us. Being doers of the word, and when we do, he comes alongside us and he teaches us to rely on him. He comes with us every step of the way. And finally, in your notes, when we serve, we experience true joy and blessing in our lives. Not only does God work in the lives of those we touch, those lives that are blessed because we're serving them, but he, our lives are blessed as well. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13 says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. In James chapter 1, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And then Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. When we're loving people, we're loving God. The video uh, we played last week when Brandon was preaching. It was awesome. It was wonderful because you could really tell how much, much Nancy and Etta and Camille and Leah loved and enjoyed serving. Um, it was, I was especially touched or moved by Camille and Leah because it reminded me that spiritual maturity, spiritual growth has um, far less to do with age than it does with spending time with Jesus. They were amazing. In response to one of the questions about serving, Leah actually giggled before she said, I love doing it. There's nothing I like more than knowing I can teach kids something so important for their lives. That's amazing coming from a young lady at 16 years old. No one could have said it better than her. Serving is a joy. It's a blessing. Doing life together is fun. When we're serving others, we are where God designed us to be, and he's teaching us things we could never learn any other way. 
to be selfless, to be humble, to be compassionate, giving, and to be reliant upon him. When we do, we grow spiritually. We become more like Christ. That's how he teaches us. And we, when we do that, we experience true joy and blessing and happiness in our lives. When we serve, we're loving God. and We're bringing glory and honor to his name. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God's designed us uniquely to be servants. And when we serve, he grows us. He teaches us to be children of God. He molds and shapes us into the image of his son. And he helps us to see people and to love people the way that he does. Let's pray. Father God, we are so amazed by your love for us. We're so thankful, Lord God, that you sent us your son to die on the cross for us. Father, so that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, through his example, we know what true love is. Father, we pray that through your design for each one of us in our lives, Lord, that we would be a people that use the gifts and the talents, the the many ways, Lord God, that you've blessed us. We'd use those to make a difference in people's lives. That we would be a people that see, see people and love people, Lord God, the way that you do. That we would be little Christ. Father, as we leave here, we pray that we would honor you in the way that we treat other people and love other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.